0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month, me and Miss Boo pick a different subject, of conversation to talk about, a director, an actor, a genre, or franchise. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And this month, we're talking about... Musicals. musicals. And today, we're talking about...
1: Singing in the Rain.
0: Uh, I I guess we, we open with story time with Dean.
1: Yeah, we should, because Dean, who loves movies, who collects movies has never consciously seen Singing in the Rain, even though his family objects to that.
0: No, 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 he, here's the thing. So, story time with Dean. When I was really, really young, I'd say, like, five, five. years ago. Five years old. My mom used to put on Singing in the Rain for, like, me and my brother, right? But, again, I'm, like, five years old, like, five or six, and that's the last time I saw that movie, and that was... We are 20 years out at that, at this point, a little bit more than that. So I have no conscious memory of it, but I put it on, you know, I'm watching her for this and there were two parts that just like the lizard brain came back. Like I was getting non-flashbacks. Make was, him laugh. Make him laugh. Yeah. Make him laugh. I was like, I, I I could do this entire song myself. I don't, I don't think I've seen this in 20 mm-hmm. years, but I must've watched it a million times as a kid.
1: So your mom was right.
0: My mom was correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, the other one was the ballet sequence at the end, and yeah. I could never figure out where the thing with the uh giant white cape dance thing mm-hmm. number was from. Like I, that image I've had in my brain forever, but I could not figure out what it was from. Yeah. And uh, yeah, now I'm very happy, glad I found it. That movie's this movie's great.
1: Or that scene might have you know sparked when we went to go see La La Land. And that's during the epilogue scene where you've got people running and the bright colors and the costumes, and it's just oh, like.
0: Also, I'm ugh. gonna I'm gonna throw this out here. Uh, Damien Chazelle owes some people some fucking money because Jesus Christ, he steals so much from like Gene Kelly musicals from Seeing the Rain, American I, in Paris. I, I would
1: say be inspired. I mean, some of this is
0: pretty fucking close.
1: It's a 70 year old movie. At this point, it'll be turning 71 in April of this year.
0: But, uh, you know, let's you know, uh, send singing in the rain. So that that was the last time I saw it, yeah. 20-some odd years ago. It was just a relic of a memory. But I uh, really liked it now. What about you? When was the last time you saw it, or when was the first time you saw it?
1: Uh, I grew up with this movie, so consciously I remember, I think maybe high school mm-hmm. was when I saw it, you know, in its entirety and could, you know, respect it as a film. Because growing up with it as a kid, you remember the big musical numbers. You're not really following the storyline and oh this is uh, a new generation you know ushering in the talkies mm. and how you know difficult it is to put sound and acting together and not get you know people walking down the stairs with their pearls and that's all you hear is the pearls clanking or this guy with his cane let me just throw the cane and you know clunk yeah and it, it's hilarious
0: it, it is a thing where i'm kind of glad that i watched it now because i can appreciate it more mm-hmm. as a film because yeah like the musical numbers are great you know it it's a 1950s musical the plot hashtag does not really matter guys but the story that's going on is this it's this satire of this old Hollywood mm-hmm. system it's also a love letter to like this this era of Hollywood it's this movie that's kind of melancholy in a in certain ways yeah. in, like how you look at it and it's it's this really like beautiful movie yes like granted if i watched this as like a little little kid and just grew up with it and just like hey you know he's singing the rain i don't think i would have appreciated it as much but yeah this is a this is a banger a straight hood classic
1: sure but i've been trying to tell you this is a classic you should watch it and you're like no forget you boo
0: i i've never said that it's just like i'll get around to it because I, I, it's a thing where I think I have just always had a interesting relationship with musicals. That's kind of why we're doing Musical March.
1: But it's interesting that you getting around to it took us creating a podcast for you to finally watch it.
0: Correct. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, musicals, I remember musicals growing up as a kid. And musicals were usually, like, the movies my sister really liked. So I've seen... Because
1: your sister has good taste? Yes,
0: yeah, she also did musical theater for, like... A decade. Yeah. So I like watched a lot of them, but you know, they were like, they were my sister's movies. So like, I've seen, I don't know, like a bajillion of them, but I don't really like gravitate towards them. I'm like, oh, those are her movies. I'm watching like Predator over here and she's watching like Moulin Rouge over there. Well, yeah. Yeah, I granted, I, I like Moulin Rouge, but again, that's another one I haven't seen in like a decade plus. But um, yeah, so very happy to finally deep dive into some classic movie musicals that have no, uh, no, no place in, in my brain right now. But, yeah.
1: You're a weird, weird man.
0: Eh, yeah, but I'm your weird, weird co-host. Who's gonna tell everyone what Singing in the Rain is about?
1: I mean, you actually do have the back of the box today. I
0: do have the back of the box today. It's, it's a nice box. It is the, uh, 2Disc a- Special Edition.
1: Yeah, that's an old one.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm... Again, this was my sister's copy, so this is, it looks like this is from 2002. This is a 2002 ah. DVD. This is a, probably like the first DVD release.
1: <laughs> it could actually. be. Actually. Yeah.
0: But yeah, so this is this is very old, so I'm very happy to watch it on this one. So, <clears throat> what Singing in the Rain is about, generally, on the back of the box here, mm-mm, is silent movies are giving way to talking pictures. And a hoofer-turned-matinee idol is caught in the bumpy transition, as well as his best buddy, the pro- the pros- I can't read this box. <laughs> the prospective Lady Love and his shrewish co-star. And when their first sound movie starts to look like a flop, they scramble to su- to to sal- salt. I can't read this. To salvage the film by transforming it into a musical. But the catch in the plan is that the leading lady- can't sing
1: or dance or act
0: no she's she's a good-looking face she's a triple threat exactly (laughs) and honestly i think that's an interesting thing about the movie is it's kind of a satire of that old school silent era of hollywood where you did have actors and actresses who couldn't really do anything they just looked really good on camera
1: yeah Yeah. they were pretty and then that's kind of the sadness of this movie is that this did happen. You know, these characters are fictional, obviously. Yeah. But there were a lot of actors that, once the talkies came around, they were out of work because their voices didn't sound right, didn't match their face.
0: Or the first batch of movies they did were r- written horribly mm-hmm. and it just made everyone think they couldn't act. Yeah. This is also a, a thing where this being a movie about the transition of Hollywood makes it a very interesting movie because. It's a Hollywood history movie. Yeah. The Academy loves Hollywood histories.
1: We do. And it was only nominated for two Academy Awards, and they didn't win.
0: D- uh, what were the two nominated?
1: Uh, Best Supporting Actress and Best Music.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess, but they didn't w- Oh, wait a minute. I Didn't American and Paris sweep like the year before?
1: It did, and a lot of people, which was surprising, was when this movie came out they felt like this was a rip off of an american in paris so they're like well why are we going to take this movie seriously when he already did something like this and it's like no wait this is one of the greatest movies of all time and you're missing it i mean it
0: kind of it kind of makes sense because american in paris for a long time was considered the better of the two right and it wasn't until like the 90s where it kind of swapped
1: no i mean it was a big deal once this movie came out they also got really smart with this movie where they really touched base with marketing mm. so they were selling umbrellas the sheet music the vinyl so it's kind of like they kind of figured out hey we're going to release this and we're going to do it like now how we release movies where you get the soundtrack
0: the big media campaign, big the ad media, campaign. exactly
1: so it's like you know this movie was really smart uh marketing wise production wise because i mean this is number five on the AFI Top 100. I don't know where An American in Paris falls.
0: Oh, it's not on the list. It's not? It was on the list in the 97 one, mm-hmm. but it has since fallen off, which is why I'm like, American in Paris used to have this really big love and people mm-hmm. for a while thought it was as good or better than Singing in the Rain. But in the 80s, 90s, basically those two camps kind of yeah. pulled apart. And Singing in the Rain just went to the, straight to the top. Because, honestly, I, cause we watched American in Paris last year.
1: And that was your first time watching it.
0: Yeah, and it was probably my first Gene Kelly musical like, that I consciously remember as an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that movie was really good. The ending ballet sequence was yeah. phenomenal. And seeing Singing in the Rain, I'm like, oh, this is just American in Paris, but, like, just generally better overall. Like, the songs are just one notch better across the board. The dance numbers are way more intricate. The Mm -hmm. ballet sequence at the end of Singing in the Rain is beautiful and Mm -hmm. fascinating. And also, like, there's a part in there where I'm like, how did this get past the censors? Like, what the hell?
1: Is it the legs?
0: Oh, oh, uh, with uh, Sid Cherise in the in that Sid Cherie, yeah, in that in that slinky green Mm -hmm. dress. How did that woman is the reason the production code was designed in that sequence? I mean, my word. We're
1: looking at the back of the box, and it says G. It's rated G. (laughs) There's.
0: We are on the verge of a triple R rating in that sequence. My word. It's not
1: triple R rating. It's PG 13. It's just legs.
0: Uh, Yes, yes. She's, you know. Not a leg.
1: She's vamping him. She's, you know, seducing him. But I love that that whole ballet sequence is telling a story Mm -hmm. of, you know, he's this crazy kid that just. He's got to dance. Got to
0: dance.
1: And he comes to Hollywood and just showing, you know, the arc of. I've got talent, I've got drive, this is what I want to do. And just seeing him, you know, elevate to stardom and then kind of, you know, get forgotten a little bit and you see the next kid coming through who's excited, he's got to dance too and he wants to be a star. That's Hollywood. That's it's just,
0: cyclical nature of stardom. It,
1: yeah, it's just, you know, this big circle where, you know, it's just, okay, you rise to the top, you go back to the bottom and someone fresh and new comes in and it's the same, it's a circle of life.
0: It's really interesting because the movie is making a a comment on stardom a comment on celebrity especially of this like early hollywood era but before we get like really deep into you know the the messaging the the meaning the story the the, all that stuff uh i want to talk about the man of the hour here mr gene kelly who's directed all the dancing sequence right he choreographed them and Mm -hmm. i believe he directed them and he he stars in it
1: he choreographed starred and co-directed the movie
0: yeah, because it's a weird thing. Because there were two directors. One did all like the non-singing and dancing parts, and then Gene Kelly directed all the dancing parts. Yeah,
1: Stanley Donen would be the one that choreographed everything else, and Gene Kelly took over the other half of it.
0: Yeah, but what are the merits of um your Gene Kelly movies? Like, what stands out to you about a Gene Kelly musical or a dance movie that maybe a um a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movie doesn't?
1: Well, I think with like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, their movies are very dreamy. Mm -hmm. You feel like, you know, you're floating on a cloud with them. They kind of give you that feel. And with Gene Kelly, it's just the world is just such a beautiful place. They're very vibrant and bright. And it's like, yeah, I could see you being real people.
0: There's an authenticity to a Gene Kelly? Yeah,
1: because it's like, you know, Don Lockwood could have been any big silent star in the 1920s. Mm. And in the Gene Kelly movies, you know, this is just, you know, a man, you know, that's just out of, you know, that's come from heaven and is just here to swoop up the most prettiest girl here and dance on a cloud with her. It's so fantastical. But you know that... Fred Astaire does have, you know, some ties to this movie.
0: I I do know that. I, I was doing a little bit of research on this because after I finished the movie, I was like, oh, so I guess this is now in my top 10 favorite films all, of all time. So wow.
1: Okay. No,
0: this movie is fantastic. Yeah. So I, I started digging in.
1: I may have watched it again today before we started recording. It's pretty
0: good. It's pretty good. This
1: is one of those kind of movies that I absolutely love, but I won't watch it for long periods of time because I don't want to ruin it. And it's just, you know, this thing of when you finally get it again, it's like, no, it's perfect.
0: It's the most feel-good movie I think I've ever seen.
1: Even though, you know, there's pitfalls in it and, you know, there's sadness, but it's...
0: Yeah, there's parts of it where you're like, okay, maybe that sequence doesn't, like, wholly work. Or maybe this beat doesn't, like, land well. But the movie as a whole is just such fucking sugar and pixie Mm -hmm. sticks and joy. It's, It's wonderful. But, um, Fred Astaire... Right. Yes. Now Fred Astaire, he does have a little bit of a tie-in with this, but I still wanted to kind of talk about the, that dichotomy because mm-hmm. Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire, that was always that argument going on yeah. where which is the better dancer, who's the better choreographer, who made the better movies. Mm-hmm. And they're both very different film presence, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Fred Astaire's very, you know, he's tall and he's kinda kinda wavery. He like he moves his body very he floats. Um, yeah, he floats. Gene Kelly feels like he's...
1: He uses every bit of his body. He's
0: incredibly physical. Mm-hmm. Every muscle and every movement he makes is very, you know, pointed and purpose, and purpose purposeful. I can speak English, I swear to God. You're so
1: excited about this movie.
0: It's It's very lovely. And in his like ballet sequence, and his and when he takes like Debbie Reynolds, and they and they have a, that dance in the sound stage, which mm-hmm. is just beautiful. Yeah, it's like the, I can see why people just gravitate towards Gene Kelly because everything he does looks so incredibly difficult, but he mm-hmm. makes it look so effortless. Yeah, where Fred Astaire makes everything look so effortless and light, and you don't realize how fucking complicated that shit oh, probably yeah. was. And I think that's, like, the difference between the Gene Kelly and the Fred Astaire here. But, yeah, so Fred Astaire's involvement in the movie. uh, Would you like to tell everyone what Mr. Gene Kelly did to Debbie Reynolds?
1: Yeah, I mean, Debbie Reynolds, let's give some backstory on Debbie Reynolds. I absolutely love Debbie Reynolds. She reminds me a lot of my grandmother. But uh, at the time of the movie, she was 19 years old. Uh, living in Burbank, and I guess she would like get up at four in the morning to commute to the studio to mm. make this movie. Mm. And she was a gymnast, so she wasn't a professional trained dancer like Gene Kelly and
0: um, a Donald, O'Connor, Donald O'Connor. Basically everyone else in the movie.
1: Yeah, so it was a thing where Gene Kelly was kind of like, you brought me a girl that can't, you know, dance. I'm gonna have to teach her how to dance. Because, I mean, it's one thing that you'd have to teach her the choreography that you're coming up with. But But you
0: have to teach her from the ground up.
1: Yeah, because it's like, you know, she could do, like, some of the basics, but not to the Gene Kelly level, where, you know, he knew just about everything about dance.
0: At the time, he was considered the greatest screen dancer alive, I think?
1: So it was an issue where, you know, he would basically lock her in a room and just, you know, you're going to practice this routine over and over. And I mean, there was times where her feet would bleed because she was just dancing for so many hours a day and you know he was just really really pushing her so i guess one day she broke hit under a piano and you know a man asked her are you okay down there and she came out and it's fred astaire and it's like oh you know sure (laughs) fred astaire he's just here and she explained what was happening and he offered to train her you know so apart from being taught by gene kelly she was also taught by fred astaire how to dance
0: that's an interesting thing because you know We've heard stories of very demanding directors, mm-hmm. very demanding very demanding people in the film industry, yeah. right? Gene Kelly, he's one of these people who when you watch his movies, everything looks like, oh my god, it looks so perfect mm-hmm. and so effortless. It looks how did he do these in like one long take? Yeah. And then you realize, oh, it's because he drilled everyone like this was the army for weeks and weeks and weeks until it yeah. was perfect. And Fred Astaire was like the same way, and it's it's a it's a really interesting to see that because you know per- perfectionism you kind of want that in like an artist because you know that's like integrity to their work and they know like what's on screen is forever yeah like our pain is is temporary the screen lives on, and I appreciate that but. Jesus Christ, the stories I hear of Gene Kelly, he is so mean to people.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, especially in this movie. And that's why it's kind of hard to read those things because it's like this movie is so perfect. And then, you know, having to hear how incredibly rough he was on Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor. And it's like, I get it. You know, you're a perfectionist and people aren't seeing what you're seeing and what you envision. So it's hard trying to get people to do what you want them to do. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's going to look, you know, beautiful and flawless on the screen. But it's like, you got to curb it a little bit. You got to be a little bit more understanding that, you know, people aren't up to your level of what you've trained to do.
0: And this is different than what, like, Kubrick did, right? Yeah. Where he's like, I'm going to make him walk through the door a hundred times until he gets it right. That's walking through a door, you know. Mm -hmm. Or, like, I'm going to have him say this line a hundred times. Or whatever. Like, that's one thing. Gene Kelly's like, I want you to do a a running wall backflip. Yeah. Until it is perfect. Well, well, Gene, like I sure, like what is that going to take <laughs> two or three times? Like, yeah, I can do that. No, no, no. Until it is
1: perfect. Did you read about that scene about that making of? Uh, make them laugh.
0: Yeah, make them laugh. Which, by the way, we're we're gonna get into that. That is the greatest uh musical moment in the movie. Uh, but make them laugh. I'll make to differ. But make them laugh. Uh, yeah, that Donald O'Connor was like a four-pack-a-day smoker. Yeah. And also, like, it. I, I get it, it's 1952, we didn't know how bad cigarettes were, but fucking four-packs a day, man? And you're a song and Ooh. dance man? My word! You were made of different shit back then.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not their stock. I mean, <laughs> we, we take a run at a wall, we're gonna go down, we throw ourselves on the carpet, we're not getting back up. I mean, this man is just going 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 to the point where he ended up in the hospital and was hospitalized because i mean he was just completely exhausted from doing that and the kicker i don't know if you saw it was that when he came back to set there was an accident and they lost the final cut of that scene and he had to redo it again oh and i was just like my god (laughs)
0: because the only part that i really know about that is that it was all done in like a day yeah and I think that's the other impressive thing about, like, the Gene Kelly mm-hmm. musicals and the dance sequences is that there's so few bits of coverage. There's so there's so little editing going on. Mm-hmm. You're really watching these three, four, five minute long, long takes of him just dancing or any of the actors dancing and make him laugh. That's a long number. It is. And Donald O'Connor is doing slapstick. He's doing... He's He's singing. He's doing pratfalls. He's doing singing. He's doing all these comedy bits. He's doing all these things all at once. You know, acting, singing, dancing, everything. And it's so impressive to watch. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense how that would almost kill you. Yeah. Because what he's doing in the number isn't just... Oh, I'm dancing with, like, another person, and we both have to be in sync, and we mm-hmm. both have to get it right. It's, I'm dancing, and my partner is gravity, and yep. gravity is kicking my ass. And, and it's and not
1: like, you know, you see great. wires or anything. It's like, no, he's doing the stunts.
0: The wall run thing, I was like, how, how, where's the wire? Mm-hmm. I was I was legit looking for, like, there's got to be a wire. Is that there's a There's no man? wire. And that's the thing. There's no not even a stuntman. He does it, and then he turns, like, ah, see, guys, it's me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. So, and then he turns to another wall and does it again.
1: And then he turns to the third wall and goes through it. He goes through the wall and climbs back out. And it
0: doesn't cut. There's not a cut in that whole, like, last sequence.
1: That's why, you know, in interviews, Debbie Reynolds said that, you know, in her lifetime, the two hardest things she ever had to go through was childbirth and making this movie. And it's like, yeah. I can see it. I mean, beautiful movie, iconic movie, but just, you know, the physicality of surviving this movie.
0: And that's, and that's the Gene Kelly director, right? Mm -hmm. And basically everything I've seen, like outside of his work, he was like, you know, a normal guy, but he did not cut any corners as a director of these dance numbers or of these sequences. And it's like, it, it pays off on screen. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about this movie 70 years later.
1: Almost 71, yeah.
0: So, I mean, it, it paid off for him. But, you know, him as also the star. Like, he's mm-hmm. not just the director and the choreographer, he's also starring in the movie. Yeah. So Gene Kelly, he's not Brando. He's not Humphrey Bogart. He's not a... He's not like a, a, a great thespian. But, my God, this man is dripping charisma oh, yeah. that I I don't think is is matched even today.
1: He can hop from a car, jump onto a trolley and then jump jump into another car. That's
0: yeah, like a straight up Indiana Jones movie. And, and it's then, all one and cut
1: and look charming in a torn up tuxedo. It's like, you know, even, you know, all disheveled and everything, you're still incredibly handsome and I wouldn't kick you out of the car. Of course
0: not. Ooh, if Jean Kelly, if young Jean Kelly rolled up in into the into your car or whatever as you're driving on the I-5, you're just like, oh, where where would we want like to go, Mister G- Mister Kelly? Please,
1: Beverly Hills. Okay, let's go. Oh, yeah,
0: but but Jean Kelly as like an actor, right? Because this is in '52. Yes. So is is he a great actor or is he just a great screen presence?
1: I think he's one of these actors where you're like, oh, it's Gene Kelly. It's not, you know, like a Daniel Day-Lewis where he, you know, completely turns into whoever this character is. But I think it works in his favor in this movie because Mm -hmm. Gene Kelly is a movie star. He's portraying a movie star in this movie. But you can see, you know, the, the gravity of his character where it's, you know, he's this larger than life. I'm at the premiere, you know, look at me. Let me tell you my life story that really isn't my true life story.
0: I I love that opening num opening sequence where it's you know always dignity. I remember that motto always dignity when I was learning in vaudeville and it shows him playing in like saloons. Yeah. Where it's like when I learned to dance at the finest dance academy and it's him at like at like a hoedown and it's oh, it's, it's, a,
1: it's a bull hall and bull you know hall, they, they're yeah. dancing for pennies and they get thrown out of there and you know he's oh yeah they, my parents told me about Moliere and him and his friend um, Cosmo they're sneaking into the movie theater to go see a free movie.
0: And and I think that's another like satire and also a commentary on this older era of Hollywood where the the publicity mm-hmm. where it's like oh yes Clara Bow she was this this woman we we discovered on this you know paradise in in New York City she's this Manhattan blah 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 or like Lillian Gish like oh she was this or that or whatever mm-hmm. but really oh no they grew up in like Kansas City and they won a contest and that's it like they grew up or, on a farm they, and they, they were took, pretty
1: they took the train down here and hoped for the best uh probably something I haven't told you but I actually have a tie into this 1920s old Hollywood mm-hmm. my great grandfather was actually an extra
0: Oh really and, yeah
1: so we've been what, kind of was,
0: he, was he in the jazz singer <laughs> No, that would that would be very interesting.
1: I, I don't know how we could find it. Um maybe there's like a, a database somewhere, but yeah, he used to, you know, be an extra in movies, and we're not sure what movies it was, but yeah, he would travel to California and he'd do movies and he'd go back to Texas. So yeah, we're gonna work and see if we could find him.
0: Oh, well I'll let you know if I find him in any of the old silent movies I uh, watched.
1: Yeah, you've got plenty of them, so I think we could <laughs> look for my great grandfather.
0: But yeah, but the the thing is, is you know, this movie is about this era, right? And yeah. you know, Gene Kelly's like always dignity, always this, always that, and the falseness of Hollywood. the The Hollywood machine is based on selling you dreams, selling you like unrealities. It
1: hasn't changed exactly.
0: And I I was watching actually I was watching some old silent movies the other day because yeah. I'm a mm, pretentious hack, and I was, I mean,
1: silent movies are really good.
0: Yeah, but I was watching like Battleship Potemkin and like and like the the Passion of Joan of Arc, which really good movie. Um I'll I'll leave it at like that. Passion of Joan of Arc is a is a really good movie. Oh, Great okay. performances, but that's like yeah. All right. But watching a lot of the silent movies and then watching them basically parodied in this mm-hmm. at that premiere, I'm like, oh oh yeah. Like when Gene Kelly's Don Lockwood runs into Debbie Reynolds' uh, Kathy Seldon. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, they're not really actors. They're not really doing this. They're just pantomime.
1: If you've seen one, you've seen them all.
0: Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's dismissive. But I mean, she's not wrong.
1: No, because I mean, because a lot of so these movies. Of... Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. It's just what I was going to go off of what you were saying was a lot of these movies, you know, they'd kind of figure out, hey, these big epics where, you know, there's swashbucklers and, you know, sword fights, you know, that sells. Let's make more of those, you know, action-adventure action, action adventure movies. And then you have some of the deep ones, kind of like the Chaplin movies, or what's the one that you really love? It's um Summertime, or... Oh, Sunrise, the Song Sunrise. of Two Humans, which
0: is, I will throw this out there. Uh, if you have not seen Sunrise, the Song of Two Humans, it is free on YouTube, on Wikipedia, anywhere. It's public domain. It is literally one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, it is almost 100 years old. It is perfection on screen. It has yet to be topped. It is wonderful. Go watch Sunrise. Yeah, that's why, you know... F.W. Murnau. That's also like... the director of Nosferatu. I will stop uh, interrupting.
1: Thank you, Mr. Lockwood. Yes. <laughs> but uh, <yeah>.
0: Always dignity.
1: <laughs> no, no, you're good. Okay, all right. I'm done. I'm and done th- with a bit. That's why it's like, I'll never crap on silent movies. Because, I mean, you have some absolute gems from that era. And you know you got the ones where you know people yeah they're they're miming to the screen but it's like now mm. you know you have movies that you know just you know tear your heart out they're just you know so deep and then you have movies where like okay that was kind of stupid but it was fun you know it's here to entertain us
0: yeah and I'm not I'm not being dismissive of of silent movies or what she's saying yeah it's just you can really tell when like when these actors in a lot of silent movies were not like real. They they weren't they weren't gonna do like Shakespeare. Like you can tell the actors who couldn't really make that transition.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I think one of the most famous ones is like Fatty Arbuckle, mm-hmm. who was like a huge star, and then he just could not make that transition into sound. And there's there's a lot of cases like that. Um. I don't know. Like Charlie Chaplin, right? He held on to silent film for yeah. like two I, decades he, before he, he finally gave up. He
1: was a lot like um like RF's friends in the movies where they were just like, it's never going to happen. This is just a fad. And then they're going to go back to silent movies. And yeah, Chaplin was like that. And everyone thought, okay, he's going to retire and he's never going to do a talkie. And his first talkie was the great dictator and one of the greatest films of all time.
0: Yeah. And his movie right before that was what modern times, which was another one of the greatest films of all time. And I mean, like there's also like Buster Keaton Mm -hmm. who, he didn't have a lot of like big hits or successes. Mm-hmm. At once, talkies came in. Harold Lloyd, a lot of like those silent era actors. Once you know talking became like a necessity, it wasn't a fad anymore. Couldn't make them transition. Like the director portrayed in this movie, Dexter.
1: Yeah,
0: he's one of those directors where you can tell. Oh, he can't. He can't make they transition. I mean, even when he's doing the sound move like, the sound scenes with... It's
1: hilarious. Yeah, with
0: Lena Lamont, played by um Jean Hagen, who is absolutely the funniest part of this movie.
1: Yeah, and originally, her character, Lena Lamont, was written for... Oh, I love this actress, and I, I'm i always thinking I'm going to second guess saying her name, but it's like, I know it by heart. It's uh Judy Holliday. Mm-hmm. She was in Born is, Yesterday. Is that a
0: hard name to remember? Judy Holliday. No,
1: because I always think of billy holiday oh, and it's okay. just like it's like it's not billy it's judy but uh judy holiday was in born yesterday a movie that was on the list for the podcast at one time we're gonna have to find a place to put it because it's a great movie i know you haven't seen it probably not but uh lena lamont was written for judy and she couldn't do it at the time and apparently gene hagan who plays lena lamont in the movie is friends with judy holiday so she kind of picked up her mannerisms to portray this character and it wasn't until i was doing the research that for the movie or for the podcast that i didn't realize that it wasn't judy holiday in this movie
0: really yeah i was did you think it was judy holiday yeah i
1: was so convinced because she sounds just like her and it just completely threw me and you know the platinum blonde hair so i was just you know completely thrown until i was like wow it's two different people so I was like, "Wow, Gene Hagen did a really good job."
0: Well, the other thing is Gene Hagen's doing this, you know, really shrill, squeaky voice, and and mm-hmm. the bit is, "Oh, she has this such annoying voice. She has this, uh, she can't really sing. She's mm. a horrible singer." And she's showing off like, "Oh no, this was like a real thing. Yeah. Like certain actors just could not make that transition." Like like we mentioned, Bela Lugosi, you know, who had a very thick Hungarian mm-hmm. accent. And that really limited his career when he came in after like Dracula. I mean,
1: he was also learning English through movies.
0: Yeah. And with the the Gene Hagen um role, Lena Lamont, she is she is also doing something interesting because, you know, uh, it's not her voice. And the moments where um Kathy, Debbie Reynolds character, dubs over. And we're like, oh wow, like Debbie's perfectly mimicking her voice. And it's like, oh uh, no, it's just that those moments are when Gene Hagen just speaks normal. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. And I was like, I that that's amazing. That's that's just kind of cool. And the movie's also showing, like, oh, movies are artifice, like they're all created. Like we are building dreams or building these fantasies. And
1: just showing, you know, how new the technology is where we're, you know, creating dubbing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, these little things where. Now it's, you know, oh, okay, so they're going to dub this, you know, for that. But in this movie, it's big.
0: Yeah. I, I had a question for you. So, silent movies, mm-hmm. and this movie's talking about them, and kind of what was lost and what was gained. Yeah. You know, we lose Lena Lamont, but we gain Kathy Seldon. Yeah. We lose this pantomime, very mm-hmm. expressionistic film style, but we gain dialogue and a more theatrical sense. In your opinions, like, is this movie sad we lost the silent the silent films, or is it excited we got talking pictures?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. You mm. know, it's sad for the actors that we lost, mm-hmm. because they just couldn't transition into this new era. But, you know, if we didn't get into this new era, we wouldn't have a lot of people that we have today. And throughout the 50s, the 60s, the 70s you know, just that transition of film. I mean, it's it's evolution of Hollywood. I mean, right when you see that they start to get sound and then they jump into, you know, these big technicolor and, you know, musical numbers and it's just kind of like overload when they kind of cram it together.
0: Oh, what was that? Beautiful Girls?
1: Yeah, when it transitions into Beautiful Girls. At
0: first, I thought, why is this in the movie? This makes no sense. And then it like dawns on me, I'm like, Oh no! This movie's commenting like these were these old Busby Berkeley's yeah. like early, early musicals were these big lavish sets, and that's a Bugsley Berkeley, Bugsby Berkeley number. I swear to God, I I can do names today. I mean, they
1: even mention uh like Ziegfeld Follies mm-hmm. and Ziegfeld Girls. That's you know huge movies, and it's just at this time because I I thought it was kind of ridiculous when we get to the Good Morning scene and they're talking about let's turn this into a musical. We have six weeks we can do this and, it's, not, and it's like you know you think now in you know movie making that's ridiculous. you have a movie that's coming out in six weeks. you could never film scenes and then just put it in there and send it out to the public. That would never work. but in this time, you know along with the silent movies and now transitioning into t- to the talkies, they could totally make you know movies and movies and movies oh
0: no, no that that is a that is a that is a, a falsehood so the, here's the thing back in the silent era. Your average like movie production runtime was like really short. That yeah. that's true. It was it was like two months, eight weeks, or whatever. And yeah, you, or, and you can pump out a full movie. It's not because, like now
1: where it takes years. Yeah.
0: Because, you know, silent movies, you had you didn't have to sync anything. Mm-hmm. You can light however you want. You can just do takes, whatever. It was it was much easier. Yeah. When sound came in. Everything quadrupled in terms of production time, and yeah, it was easier because you didn't have to care that much about quality. But you saw uh, Broadway Melody, and he's like, "Don't worry, it'll it, it'll be premiered next week. I'll only need like three days to shoot it." Like, there's it in real life that took them like three weeks to shoot Broadway Melody. Yeah. Like, there there ain't no that there ain't no way they're doing all these musical numbers yeah, in six weeks
1: I think Broadway Melody was the most expensive. Ex- uh.
0: Most expensive
1: I think Broadway Melody was the most expensive scene in the movie.
0: wouldn't surprise me and but that's but that's the thing, right? The movie is of is is a fantasy, yeah, and that's the thing about musicals. Musicals are just fantasies, and it's so interesting in this in in singing in the rain. it is absolutely a fantasy and this kind of love letter and satire of this era mm-hmm. of this transition. And I think it's kind of beautiful mm-hmm. because it's, de- it's definitely misses that old era of that silent Hollywood, that transition. And it's, and it's so exuberantly happy that now we can sing and dance and be, and actually do musicals, right? Cause musicals only exist because of talkies. The first yeah. talking picture was the jazz singer, which in yeah. all kinds of purposes was a musical.
1: Yeah. And I think it was interesting, um, uh... You know, like most movies, the, the music was written before the, the script was actually written. So once they got writing, the writers actually bought a house in Hollywood that belonged to a former silent movie star that just couldn't make the cut once talkies came out. So they're kind of like, you know, let's use his kind of failed experience and write, you know, this guy, you know, let's see if he can survive talkies himself, which Don Lockwood abso- absolutely could
0: yeah and i well in the movie it's interesting you you say that because don lockwood admits he's like i ain't a great actor i i i can't do what you do you know kathy like you're a good actress i'm i'm just a face and they're like no but you can sing and dance you if you can do that and you can be a star and that's almost like a self-commentary on gene kelly because we said you know he ain't gonna play Macbeth he ain't gonna play hamlet but god damn that man can sing and dance oh yeah and it it's really interesting how the movie kind of has this meta take even on itself in those moments and its stardom um but i wanted to ask you something because we're you know we're a little into this yeah what's your what is your in your opinion the best song or your favorite you know scene in the movie It it could be the same or both. It's up to you. So
1: growing up, you know, obviously my favorite was Singing in the Rain.
0: It's the most iconic.
1: It's the most iconic. um, For me, uh, we'd go to Movie Land Mac...
0: Movie Land Mac World, MGM Studios.
1: As a kid, we'd go to Movie Land Wax Museum in Buena Park. And one of the installations there was Gene Kelly hanging onto the light post with the rain. And you hear the song play over. So I was like, oh, cool. I get to see that in person so I love that but you know I think in high school when I saw this in its entirety and still today it's uh good morning good morning that's my favorite song off the soundtrack that's my favorite scene I just love you know how this little dance in the kitchen turns into this full you know wide scale performance throughout the house
0: it shows off like how in sync all three of them are it works even into the story where it's like oh, yeah, we're we're going to make this into a musical. Mm. And then Debbie Reynolds, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor all just perfectly, like, melt together. They all dance together in this perfect way. And it's like, oh, you three are all in sync. And then at the end, when it's broken apart, it's like, oh, but you know who's not in this and who's going to be a big problem? Lena. La- Lena Lamont. And it's, that's a really good scene. Good Morning is is really, really good.
1: I mean, let alone, you know, them hopping onto the couch to make it fall. They did that 45 times, till they finally got what they wanted. Well, well what Gene Kelly wanted.
0: They, they, I'm almost convinced the, uh, who's the, what was the name of the, like, actual director of the film?
1: Uh, his name was Stanley Donan.
0: I'm convinced Stanley Donan was like, Gene, we got it on take three. Why do you want to keep doing it? He's like, yeah. it is not
1: perfect yet! It is not perfect! <laughs> I am Gene
0: Kelly and it is not perfect yet! <laughs> Dance! Dance, monkeys, dance!
1: And I mean, you have to
0: I imagine he probably yelled that a lot. Dance, monkeys, dance.
1: I mean, you just get that from other movies and TV it, shows.
0: I, I'd imagine Gene Kelly would have would have said it at least once.
1: But I mean, he Gene Kelly's a lot like other artists where, you know, it's not perfect until he sees it's perfect and we'll just keep going and going and going until we finally get it. And I mean, I watched that scene two times in, you know, under 24 hours and I look to see if anyone breaks out of form. No, they are, you know, a well-oiled machine throughout that scene,
0: and that's the the thing that goes through the entire movie is well-oiled machine. These these actors, these performers, they know exactly what they're doing. It makes everything look so effortless and seamless. How the movie shot makes the dancing way more impressive, mm-hmm. and in in my opinion, like "Good Morning," that's fantastic song.
1: Yeah, probably top three in the movie. But it's not make him laugh. It's also used in a Folgers commercial. So every now and then. (sighs) All right. Now it's in the
0: top five. It's gone down.
1: They'll they'll break it out. So it's one of those ones where it's on my Apple Music. So every now and then I hear it. But it's like, you know, I might hear it in a commercial and then I'll have it stuck in my head for like a week, you know, because it's such a good song. It's simple. And then it breaks out into this really big piece. But make him laugh is your favorite. You're you're sticking with that.
0: May, well, make him laugh is definitely like my favorite like musical number, um, because it's just Donald O'Connor is going off the off the walls, and it's it's a thing where, um, it reminds me of the movie Sullivan's Travels. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. And it's a Preston Sturgis movie, and he's talking in that movie like, yeah, all of these you know actors and hoity toity you know, uh. uh you know, artsy types want to make these hard, dramatic movies. But people want to laugh. Life's hard already, guys. People want comedies. They want light... They want lighthearted, you know? The world sucks. When you go into a movie theater, the world doesn't have to suck. Mm. And when Donald O'Connor's doing, you know, make him laugh and he's saying, oh, you know, dad always said, you know, make, you know... uh, Be
1: an actor, but make them laugh. Be an
0: actor, make him laugh. I'm
1: like, that's like a nice, you know,
0: message. And it reminds me of that Preston Surgis movie, Sullivan's Travels. And I think it's a very good um good and smart thing mm-hmm. and it's also commenting on the film where it's like guys singing in the rain it's a feel-good movie guys we're here to make you laugh make you happy life outside is rough but in here it's just singing in the rain it's just pretty <laughs> but the best scene in the movie best scene in the movie okay. by far okay is gonna be it's it's broadway melody it's that entire yeah. ballet sequence that is it is awe-inspiring in in. it tells ter- a story it tells a story with no dialogue it's this beautiful ballet sequence i can tell gene kelly probably adored the movie the red shoes by michael powell because my god this this takes some homages from it and but it's beautiful d-
1: i did find you know the facts about it it took a month to rehearse it
0: yeah that that's about right
1: it took two weeks to shoot it and it cost 600,000 To make it a fifth of the overall budget of this movie.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a Gene Kelly move. Yeah. Just a power move, you know. I mean, I don't want to talk for like 20 minutes in the movie. I just want to dance.
1: Well, gotta dance.
0: Gotta dance.
1: But I love that, you know, this big elaborate scene. That costs, you know, a fifth of the budget. You know, is him explaining it to RF. And RF's like, I don't really see what you're trying to tell me. But I trust you.
0: And I love that because that... That explains why it looks so fantastical. It's and his
1: imagination. It's
0: all imagination. And then when you go into his imagination of him telling him the story to RF, and then it goes deeper in his imagination when he sees um uh, uh, Sid Charisse come in, you know, the the vamp dance, right? Yeah. And then it that's another level where it's completely expressionistic, where it's that giant flowing, like, white cape thing, mm. and he's dancing around her, and it, for some reason, it's floating. 45 goddamn feet in the air
1: well no it was a huge piece of fabric so it's like you know they wanted to show off just how vast this space is and that's you know gene kelly it's like yeah this might be 45 yards of fabric but i'm gonna run it and i'm gonna make it look beautiful which he does but it was interesting um originally i think they wanted uh debbie reynolds to be part of that scene mm. but you know demi reynolds doesn't give off the vamp vibe.
0: Well, also, the, like the complexity of that dance sequence. Yeah,
1: she she That was probably a...
0: would have actually killed her.
1: Yeah, I know there, there was no way that he was gonna be able to teach her that in two months because that was just you know that would be brutal on someone that's fairly new to dancing. Mm-hmm. But actually, I can't think of her name. He wanted his coho or co-star from An American in Paris.
0: Yeah, uh, I got I got her name right here. Uh, uh Le- Leslie Caron.
1: Yeah, he wanted Leslie Caron to be his you know star you know in this uh imaginative scene you know this dream that he has but apparently she was attached to another movie at the time and she was
0: probably like gene i would love to but i really really can't hangs up the phone oh god i can't work with that man again oh he almost made my feet bleed the last time i can't do it again i, ha- I have the i have the sense that gene Kelly probably didn't work with the same people very often
1: I don't know. I haven't really deep dived into his catalog of movies. It's like, I've seen like some of the big ones. I know he taught Frank Sinatra to dance and Anchors Away. Mm-hmm. And he had said that, you know, it was easier to teach him to dance than Debbie Reynolds.
0: I think he probably said that to Debbie Reynolds to make her feel bad.
1: Oh, yeah. And there's, you know, <laughs> there's interviews later where he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't know how she's still friends with me after everything I put her through. And it's like, dude, like, you know, be nice to her. She's one of the nicest women Ever,
0: I I I know, but it's also like you, you gotta love this like the Gene Kelly mentality of You're just like, like oh. we're gonna get it fucking done, damn it! He's fucking chain smoking over there. It's like five, six, seven, eight.
1: Da 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 da.
0: I I love that. I love that perfectionism in 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 this movie, which is so light and it feels so loose and fun, mm-hmm. even though even though like the script's like pretty tight. Yeah, but there doesn't seem to be anything. Like bulging out, there doesn't seem to be anything missing or anything no, that seems wonky. It just works.
1: There's no fatty pieces where you could think, "Hmm, the scene's running a little too long. I think you could snip that out of there."
0: Uh, I, I mean Moses' this is a little, a little much.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's I'm, like
0: the, the weak spot of the movie. If, if the weakest spot is a seven out of ten, that's still pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean that's not my favorite song of the movie, but I guess that was the most difficult scene because. Uh, Donald O'Connor had to dance in unison with Gene Kelly. So it was like, you know, him ending up in the hospital, he was like, yeah, that was not great, but having to learn the same choreography and dance at the same time as him, that was harder than going to the hospital. And I'm like, I'm like I would think, you know, doing backflips off of walls, going through drywall and throwing myself on the ground would be more painful but yeah, if you gotta be in unison with Gene Kelly and you're not, and he's yelling at you because you're not in unison, yeah, that would be rough.
0: I know Gene Kelly is on screen doing the dances, but I'd also like to imagine Gene Kelly is, there's another Gene Kelly off screen with a shotgun. He's like, don't worry, Donald, you, you break your leg, it ain't gonna be a long night for you, it's okay.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I seen seen that- it's,
0: it's all, it's all jokes, you know? Yeah, no, no,
1: I know. But I'd seen a, an interview with Donald Connor where he was explaining, he's like, you know, yeah, you know, I'm not trained, you know, at the level that Gene Kelly is. He goes, but in my dancing, it's a lot of my legs. And with Gene Kelly, you know, it's everything. He's using his entire body. So he was like, you know, I had to learn the choreography, but I also had to you know, learn how to use my arms and, you know, kind of tie in everything together. And not piss off Gene Kelly.
0: <laughs> that is the theme of this episode. We're trying our best not to piss off Gene Don't Kelly. Don't
1: piss him off. But
0: um, what else do you do you got? What else do you want to talk about here? Uh,
1: we definitely have to talk about, you know, the most iconic scene of the film.
0: Singing in the rain.
1: And did you know that Singing in the Rain, the song, wasn't the... This isn't the first time it was ever used in a movie. Really? This is the seventh time. Fucking what? <laughs> yeah, this song was written in 1929. Okay. Uh, I have it somewhere... By Arthur Freed, and I guess he was like writing a, a musical or a play
0: with, yeah. with the same title. I know. I know Arthur Freed produced this, and mm-hmm. he his concept for the movie was: I have a lot of these mo- these a lot of these songs in my back catalog, and I want to get some more, you know, juice out of them. So here's a bunch of them. Put them in a movie, and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. So. This was the seventh time that, you know, the song was used. I think it was first used in the Hollywood Review of 1929, Babes in Arms, you know, lots of other older movies. Uh, I think even Judy Garland sang this song, um, Little Nellie Kelly, in 1940. So this song has been around for a very long time. But, I mean, when you think of singing in the rain, you think of Gene Kelly in the rain, singing and dancing, completely drenched.
0: Or you think of, you know, uh, Malcolm McDowell playing Alex DeLodge in A Clockwork Orange, but that is a very different scene.
1: Yeah, different, but I I like to think that we think of uh, Gene Kelly.
0: I mean, the Gene Kelly version is over the credits of A Clockwork Orange.
1: It is. Have you seen A Clockwork Orange? I have. Have you? I have.
0: Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm watching you, kid.
1: I know. But, you know, this song and sequence just goes to, you know, how strong an actor and a performer that Gene Kelly was because he was sick during this shoot. Um, I think this was shot in the summer and he had like a fever of 103. Completely drenched. Uh, I think, I don't know how many takes he did of this, but you wouldn't be able to tell that this man was ill.
0: No, and see, that's one of those things where I don't know how much is Hollywood legend and how much of it is fact because I've heard that story a bunch of times where I've heard, oh, Gene Kelly, he did it, and he had a 103 fever, oh, or, um, oh, yeah, Gene Kelly got food poisoning, and he had to do it the same day. I've heard, oh, yeah, Gene Kelly, when he was doing Singing in the Rain, he, like, had a broken rib. I've heard a lot of, like, like stories about that, well, but I, I know there's, but I guess there was something wrong with him, and he still powered through.
1: Yeah, I've read it, you know, many a times, because that's one of those, like, old Hollywood facts that likes to, you know, be repeated a lot, because it's such an iconic scene, but. Yeah, I was watching um, a documentary about the making of the movie, and Debbie Reynolds was, no, no, he was sick. And they had to shoot that that day, and he was like, okay, I guess we're going to shoot it until we get it. And it's like, man, this guy was a powerhouse. It's like,
0: well, it's probably one of those things where uh, Gene Kelly probably couldn't be like, oh, I'm not feeling good. I'll take the day off. Bro. Donald O'Connor is still in the hospital. (laughs) Debbie Reynolds' feet are bleeding. Fred Astaire is comforting her in the concession hall. She Gene Collier's be like, "Ah, yeah, I guess I I gotta do it, you know, or I'm kind of a hypocrite. But But, yeah, Singing in the Rain, that sequence is... It has been parodied a million times. It has been copied a million times. It's been... It's been used to advertise um, cars and and yes. stuff like that.
1: Yes, it has. And it,
0: what is it about that sequence that's just so iconic, that just just keeps coming around? How, how I can hum that tune mm-hmm. now and people will be like...
1: Oh, singing the ring. Sing in the
0: ring. Mm. Yeah, like, wh- how is it that that moment in the movie, which... Is pro- It's probably like the third or fourth best song in the movie. Why is it the most iconic?
1: It just is. I mean, even in the lyrics of the song, you know, I'm happy again. And I think maybe it's just those parallels. It's a dark, stormy night. And you would think most people would be annoyed, you know, it's raining, I'm getting wet, I just want to go home. And he's the flip side where he is just over the moon in love. And it's like, oh, it's raining, you know? I can't tell, you know, it, it might as well be sunny outside. You know, that's how happy and excited I am about life, and I think that's why it resonates with people because it's just a happy song and he looks so happy in that moment. that you're like, "Okay. Yeah. This works. It's like I I totally want to be out there jumping in puddles and singing singing in the rain."
0: And and that's I think that's the beauty of the movie. You know, I I said it earlier is this is the most feel-good movie I think yeah. I've ever seen. Like, I can't imagine watching this and not being like, eh, you know, life ain't that bad. Everything's kind of, eh, it, everything's just nice, you know? I'm just singing in the rain, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, even when you feel like, you know, the chips are down and, you know, I might not recover from, you know, what's happening to my career. And it's like, you know, no, he found love and it's like, okay, you know, I'll figure it out. You know, it, it's going to be all right. You know, I have her and she makes everything better. But the technical blah, 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 blah. the
0: technical
1: but the technical side of this you know because we were talking about hollywood rumors and you know was he sick was he not sick another rumor was that they were putting milk into the water so that the water was more visible
0: the, that i know is some bullshit yeah because I, it's easier to just back like backlight it to get so, the light better yeah
1: so i had seen uh I guess this interview was like from 10 years ago. And it was, I didn't get the guy's name, but he worked on the movie and he goes, yeah, we didn't use milk. It was all water. And this was filmed at MGM. So this is Culver City. Now Sony Studios. I was wondering what happened to MGM. (laughs) Um, But apparently they used so much water in the scene that they affected Culver City's water flow that day. So (laughs) people were reporting, you know, hey, my water levels are really low. What's going on? And they're like, oh, no, they're back to normal, which, you know, they're probably taking a break or resetting. And then, oh, wait, the water pressure dropped again. What's happening? And I was just like, wow, you know, it obviously looks like a lot of water because, you know, you need, you know, those big puddles for you know him to splash around in and reflecting lights off of. But it's just like, yeah, affecting the city's <laughs> water supply. Cool.
0: This reminds me of um, a movie that's nothing at all like Singing in the Rain. But, uh, Kira Kurosawa's Rashomon, it opens... have seen it. Very good movie. It's, it's um, one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, but it opens at, uh, the, the temple Rashomon, and mm-hmm. it's raining, and the water's pouring down, and the same thing was said about Rashomon, where they put something in the water, make it show up on, on camera. Mm-hmm. But it was, but that one's true. They put ink in it because it's a black and white movie, and you needed to show up better on camera. Yeah. But the other thing is, it was this same situation where Kurosawa used so much goddamn water that the neighboring provinces were like, "We need to drink of that." Yeah. Can you? Can you? To take Kurosawa, man, just come on. I know it's take thirty, but can we? Can we roll it back a little bit? Yeah you know, it, it's, fun, it's kind of funny, you know, it's like, ah, these directors want to use rain, and everyone around was like, bro, like, we need to drink this eventually, right?
1: Yeah, and that's what makes the scene, you know, so impressive on a technical aspect, because this was one day or one evening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to affect the city's water supply, you know, get this incredible scene done while he's possibly sick, and also, this wasn't shot on a soundstage. This was shot at the studio on one of like, the back lots, the streets, they had to black out, tarp two city blocks of the back lot of MGM to get it dark enough so that you could just get the focus of the lights and the rain for that scene.
0: That's the back
1: lot? That's the back lot. So this was shot outside.
0: Uh, Jesus, tap dancing Christ. Yeah. Okay, that's incredibly impressive.
1: Yeah, so it's. Because it, it looks like it's a
0: perfect soundstage and then.
1: It's not, it's outside
0: jesus i i mean don't be me wrong like it looks impressive as hell and i guess it makes sense to make that whole street long street mm-hmm. sequence work especially because it doesn't cut very often yeah but that's jesus that's impressive i mean i guess it kind of makes makes sense why there'd be a lot of issues with that because didn't this movie have like 19 hour days of shooting
1: yeah. 19 hour days. Um, I saw something with Debbie Reynolds where, you know, talking about how Gene Kelly was a perfectionist. Apparently he didn't let them go till I think their workday started at like 530 in the morning. He didn't let them go till eight o'clock the first day at night because he wanted to be the first on the lot to have a scene cut from their first day of filming. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, yeah, you know, that's a cool flex to have, you know, ooh, we just started our movie and we have our first completed scene done. But it's just like <laughs> That's a little that's a little
0: hardcore, Mr. Kelly.
1: <laughs> but I was just like, Okay, all right. So yeah, you know, these were really long days. Lots of dancing, lots of singing. I would be completely exhausted. Yes. L- like an hour in.
0: Yes. <laughs> but uh we're we're closing in on about an hour here, Miss Boo. Do you have any, any final thoughts? thoughts before we try and hit that wrap up
1: well i think one thing we need to talk about in this movie that's just as important you know the look of the movie the songs is the costuming of this movie
0: yeah because i think people don't realize this is a period piece it's supposed to take place in like 1927
1: yes and you know with this being filmed in the 50s there were still people that lived through the 20s remembered the 20s so it was a thing where they needed to be as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, they didn't wear that in the 20s. You,
0: it's it's not like Gone with the Wind, where it's like, no one's alive for the Civil War, so we can kind of dress however we want.
1: Speaking of Gone with the Wind, there's a tie-in with this, because the costume... Was
0: Clark Gable the first choice? No.
1: Like- the costume designer of Gone with the Wind, Walter Plunkett, was the costume designer for this movie. Oh, really? Yes, and with I Gone feel, with the Wind... I
0: feel accidentally
1: smart. <laughs> but with, you know, Gone with the Wind, they had so many extras. I, I forget how many there are because, you know, they are creating the Civil War, you know, when you have that great scene where they pull out. They're just pulling backwards, that long, you know, Oh, frame. that
0: yeah, that long crane shot where it, just, it looks like it's like, oh, there's like 40 people in frame. Okay, maybe they have 100 extras. Is that 10,000 extras across this battlefield?
1: Yeah, so in an interview, he said that he made more pieces for this movie than he did for Gone with the Wind. How is that even possible? Because they needed to have, you know, enough costuming for, like, the the ballet dream scene, all the other scenes in the movie. There's just, you know, so many dance scenes and, you know, movies are being filmed throughout this movie. I mean, that...
0: Actually, that... Yeah, because there's... There's three or four musical numbers where the extras roll in and there's like eighty goddamn people on screen and they all are dressed completely differently and each scene they are dressed completely differently.
1: Well, there's also that scene right before the the studio stops and you know, they're gonna transition over to talkies. But it's when uh Don Lockwood's walking through the sound stages and side by side different movies are being filmed. And you don't have to worry about, you know, bleed over of audio because they're silent films, so it's like, you know, you have this Jungle epic and the right next to it it's this football game with you know the crowd and the cheerleaders and then you have a period piece right next to it
0: there's a western there's there's a uh, sword fight movie there's a there's a pirate movie there's all these different little little crevices in in your in your studio and it's another thing we lost with uh, the silent era is when you could have these kind of assembly line productions right yeah. where you can just make all these movies you can make them kind of as fast as you want pump them out you know it that that is an interesting interesting thing and that does explain why there's so many costumes in this movie that's oh, yeah. fucking wild i
1: mean the price tag of um the costumings was 150,000 almost 160,000 just on costuming for this movie
0: Man, this movie this movie cost a lot of money for 1953 52
1: oh yeah and you know on its initial release it made 7.7 million dollars back So, you know, all this, you know, money and hard work was worth it. But, you know, tying into the costuming and everything, why that's so important, uh, Debbie Reynolds was Mm -hmm. a very bit big advocate for, you know, preserving Hollywood history. So throughout the years she was Oh, so
0: that's why you love her so much.
1: Well that too. I mean, she gives me plenty of reasons to love her. Halloween town. Uh I love her. (laughs) Oh, that's right.
0: She's like the grandma in Halloween Town. Oh. Oh shit. So I've seen I've seen Debbie Reynolds many times. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, she's always been a very big advocate for preserving Hollywood history. So throughout the years, she would buy, you know, costumes and props because she wanted it to be turned into a museum. So eventually, she bought back every costume that was in this movie, and she had it in her catalog. So it was this thing where she wanted this Hollywood, you know, museum that would honor and pay homage to... The movies of the past their costumes their props whatever of it and a large amount of that went to the academy museum that's
0: just nice
1: but they don't give her that much credit which is kind of like no you gotta give debbie reynolds the credit because she, she spent decades collecting all of this stuff and it hasn't been lost because of her
0: but you know what i think to honor Miss Debbie Reynolds and her, you know, preserving Hollywood history, people should go out and watch Singing
1: in the Rain. Absolutely.
0: Any uh, final thoughts on Singing in the Rain?
1: I do have a fun trivia fact.
0: All right. You're going to hit your fun trivia fact. We'll tell people what's what's, what's next, next week? week. What's your fun trivia fact?
1: Debbie Reynolds in this movie was 19. Mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher in A New Hope was 19. Her daughter.
0: Carrie Fisher was 19 in she New Hope? She
1: was, yeah. All right. And then... Just to tie it in, not part of the Reynolds-Fisher family, but Natalie Portman in Attack of the Clones, 19.
0: Hmm. 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 George hmm. Lucas has a thing for 19-year-olds.
1: Except I don't think Debbie Reynolds ever worked for George uh, Lucas.
0: But next week...
1: Next week is another Dean pick. And we can make fun of him because he hasn't seen this movie either.
0: Well, yes, I haven't seen this one either, but... technically. Um, probably not even technically. I don't think I've ever seen this. And this is weird because it's my mom's favorite movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but the reason I haven't seen it is because it's like a three plus hour long movie. <sighs> yeah. And, uh, my mom knew she couldn't get my, um, hyperactive, uh, little kid person to watch a three and a half hour movie. But it is The Sound of Music. Yes. Which everyone argues is, like, the other greatest musical of all time and- yeah. It's another one of those, like, super iconic movies. It and, is. And uh, it's a movie that I don't really know all that much about. I know, like, one or two songs from it, from, like, just pop culture.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of songs. <laughs> three hour hour <laughs> it's, movie. it's three hours, you know.
0: But, um, yeah, that's going to be what's going on next week. Yes. But where can they go to listen to it?
1: If you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, and YouTube.
0: Yep, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube, where we try and upload video-slash-slideshow versions of this podcast whenever you can get the chance. Uh, You can like, comment, and subscribe there. But if you want to follow us on social media, you can go to...
1: The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes... Uh, trivia and random adventures we go on.
0: And with that,
1: we'll see you next week at the phone club.
0: Have a good week, everybody.